This is episode number 413 with Bill Smith of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Goes, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Today's guest has an incredible entrepreneurial journey, building and selling shipped to Target for $500 million when he was just 32 years old to his most recent venture, Landing, which Landing is a living as a service company, which is scaled through 200 cities in just 24 months. So Bill is here today to talk about his experiences leading such high growth startups, as well as how to build hyper scalable companies. Please welcome to the podcast, Bill Smith. Really excited to speak with you, Bill. Uh, The first question we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? So I have wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was uh, a kid. Actually, when I was five years old, I asked for a briefcase for my birthday. And I've always loved business. I've always been curious about how things work. And uh, and so this has been my dream since I was a kid. And, and now I get to wake up every day and live the dream. Yeah, awesome. And so can you tell us about your first company? Yes. So I started my first company right out of high school. Um, that was a payments company, and we issued uh, prepaid Visa cards that uh, were distributed all across the U.S., and we built all the technology and the distribution and, and everything to, 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 to bring that product to life. And um, that business was uh, acquired by Green Dot, which is a public company. Um, they, they bought the business in 2014. Um, and it was a great, it was a, definitely a great outcome and helped set me up for, for the next uh, couple businesses that I started. Yeah, that's wild. So first business at 16, uh, I'd love to go a little deeper on that. So you dropped out of school. Um, like, what, like, yeah, tell, tell us, like, how'd you come up with the idea? Like, how, how'd you convince your parents to let you drop out of school? Like, t- talk us through that. So, uh, you know, I never really loved school. Um, I always wanted to 
to be in business. I actually got my first job when I was 11. And, uh, and then when I was 12 or 13, I used to build um, computers and sell them in the newspaper back when people built clone computers. And um, when I was in high school, I started selling uh, cell phones. So I was actually, a, uh, there was a company called Nextel at the time, which was uh, cell phones that had, a, uh, had a, like a walkie-talkie feature on them. And so I used to sell these phones outside sales to different car dealerships and people like that, different businesses uh, when I would get out of school. And I was making five or $6,000 a month selling these phones. And um, without telling my parents, I went out and leased an office space uh, at 16 years old for this little business I had. And um, I didn't tell my parents and I actually just stopped showing up at school for a couple of weeks because I was out selling phones and doing business. And so I just stopped showing up. And the school called my parents and said, hey, um, Donald hasn't been to school. Is, is everything okay? What's going on? And of course, they were really upset. Uh, they were not happy at all about this. And uh, so my parents called me and they said, hey, we need to go to the school. We have to have a meeting with the counselor to talk about why you're not showing up. So uh, we go to the school and sit down with the counselor. And uh, the, I, I tell the counselor what I'm doing. I, you know, look, I started this business. I'm making this money. I'm doing all this. And my parents, my dad in particular, was was to asking my counselor, like, hey, you need to talk to him about this. He needs to stay in school. And the counselor looked at my dad and, uh, and said, we're not worried about Bill. He's going to be just fine, uh, which was probably not what you would normally hear from a school counselor. And um, so they were, uh, at that moment, I said, look, they, they, they said it was okay for me to go ahead and drop out of school. Um, I immediately started working on getting my high school equivalent, um, uh, my GED, and which I did in a, a month or two, and um, and uh, from then I started building my business. Yeah, wow! And so, um, sixteen, making five six grand a month, uh, got the office space, um, had like like you, you got your GED, you started building the business, like talk us through what's next. Did you start hiring people? Like, what was that like? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, did you bring in a partner? Like, so my, my first business out of high school, I kept selling phones. So I, I stayed on that track of selling cell phones because I had something that was working. And um, the first thing I did was get a store. So I, I wanted to open up a retail store. So I went from my little office space that was not retail at all into an office space. Um, I borrowed some money. Uh, so my dad lent me some money to help me get that business going and get my first store open. And he, he kind of flipped from, uh, I don't want you to drop out of school to, okay, well, if you're going to do this, uh, let's, let's do, I want to do what I can to help you. And so uh, he helped me out and, I ended up partnering with my dad on my first company, and he's invested in everything I've done since, actually, uh, and it's, which is really cool. I, I love being able to uh, make money for family and friends. But from then on, I, I brought a few employees on, um, not a lot. I mean, this was a small business, um, and this was retail. And so um, I had a few people and started you know, learning how to, how to grow that business. I ended up having two stores. Um, 
and sold that. And it wasn't a big exit. I mean, that was a small business, not a big exit, but it led me into uh, to the company that I've, uh, that I built and exited with Green Dot. And ultimately, uh, you know, that became uh, a, a pretty large company and, uh, and was really successful. And it was a really complex business to build. Yeah. So to talk me through, like, that was uh, Insight Card Services, right? Yeah. So, yes. so tell me um, kind of when did you start that? At what age? How'd you come up with that? And, and talk us through that journey. Yeah, so with that business, the opportunity I saw was um, at the time, there were a lot of people and still are a lot of people that don't have bank accounts. Um, you know, it called underbanked or unbanked consumers. And this was in 2010, um, actually 2009, uh, I started working on this. And so I saw an opportunity to, to fill that niche. And there were a couple of companies that were growing really fast in the space. Um, I, I knew about Green Dot actually, and there was another uh, another company called NetSpend that I was familiar with, and so I decided to try to figure this business out. And the way I figured that, uh, kind of figured out how to get into this business is, um, I started calling. Uh, I actually went to a conference, so there was an industry conference uh, around prepaid technologies. I go to the conference. I met a couple people, and I met a guy that worked for one of the, the big software companies that provided services to the space. And uh, I ended up flying out to meet him after the conference, spent a couple of days and just asking a lot of questions. You know, I, I'm very curious about business and the way I learn is I, I find people and I just ask a million questions. And I've been that way since I was a kid. I mean, I just, and I'm that way today. I ask people a million questions. Uh, and I just started connecting dots and I realized, okay, I needed to find a bank to partner with me because you have to have a bank and I needed the technology to connect to the visa network and I had to figure out compliance. And I went off and hired my first employee for that business, which was somebody that had been in the business for a while. Uh, he was my COO. And, uh, and then I brought a technology team in to help build the initial software platform. And I found distribution and I just literally pushed it together with not a lot of capital. I mean, I didn't raise any outside money. I had a few hundred thousand dollars. I started it up and, uh, and it took off and, and we grew from there. Yeah, I see. And how old were you when you started Insight Card Services? I was um, maybe 20, 21, pretty young. Yeah, wow. And um, how old were you when that business was acquired? Uh, that was, uh, I was 24 when I sold that business. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So can you tell us kind of some learnings that you like, what, what are some learnings that you could share from that journey? Oh my gosh. I learned so many things. You know, I, I think being an entrepreneur, um, there's a lot of trial and error to building a business. And I, you know, for me, I was, uh, I was young, I guess I'm still young. I'm 36 now. Um, but I was really young. I was a kid basically. And I had to learn how to, how to manage people and how to recruit. And, uh, you know, I think people are the most important part of any business and learning this early days, how to do that. I'm sure I did many things the wrong way. Um, but I kind of figured out that the key to success was getting the right people on board and treating them really well and, uh, and getting them bought into the vision. And, um, and that was, that's been a key to all of my success. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with some incredible people, uh, 
over the years and uh, people that, you know, uh, that deserve way more credit than I do for building these companies. But, uh, you know, the next thing I had to learn was uh, how to get people to take me seriously as a really young entrepreneur. Um, and that, I think, um, you kind of have to just feel around in the dark and kind of understand. I mean, if you think about it, I'm a, I was a 20-something-year-old walking into a bank uh, and talking to the CEOs and the president and the COO of, the, of, of these banks and sharing my vision and, uh, and convincing them to partner with me. And, you know, banks aren't into taking risk. You know, that's not what they're into. And so um, I think the key, the thing I think I learned there was how, you know, I can be really high energy and excited about what I'm doing, but sometimes you have to click it down about three or four levels. And when, when you're working with people that are in a slower, more traditional industry and, um, and make sure that you're delivering a very clear message and that people understand that there's, um, you know, there's a, a culture of, of following the rules and compliance and things like that. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So um, how did you kind of land yourself uh, kind of having the business acquired? Like talk us through that process. So that's a fun story. Um, so I was at another conference after I had built Insight and I'm there at a trade show booth with all of my salespeople and employees. And uh, the CEO of Green Dot comes walking up to my booth. Um, and he said, hey, um, I, and I shook his hand and introduced myself. And uh, he said, oh, we've heard about you. Um, and I'd love to meet with you sometime. Can you come to my suite and meet with me this afternoon? And I said, sure, great. So uh, I go to his hospitality suite that he has that afternoon. And uh, couple people from from the green dot team were there and i talked to him about our business and what we were doing and how fast we were growing and our revenues and all that and um while we were talking he said you know have you thought about selling your business uh we'd be interested in buying it and he actually threw a price out at me while we were in the meeting he said you know hey what do you think about this number and i said gosh well i haven't thought about selling this company and let me let me think about it and come back to you and I think from that meeting, it really, it went from hot to cold. You know, I think they, they made an offer. I probably responded with a price that they didn't think was interesting. And, uh, and things kind of went silent for a while, but we kept in touch. We'd talk every month or two. And, uh, and ultimately we're having one of these follow-up conversations and uh, they made an offer and I said, okay, well, I think this, I think this works. And we decided to, to move forward with a deal. And, you know, these deals, I think selling a company, there's a, there needs to be a lot of trust on both sides. Uh, you know, I think for a seller to engage, when, when, you, when you run a company and you're thinking about selling the company, you really need to trust the people on the other side because you, especially if they're a strategic buyer, right? Green Dot, I could have considered a competitor. I mean, they were doing the same thing. And to sell a company you've got to go open kimono and you've got to show them everything about the business and how it works and who your clients are and all the secrets. Um, and I was, I was weary of that. And on the other side, it's a lot of risk for the management team. You know, that CEO or COO really it, 
The CEO has to make the decision to buy the company, but it's everybody that works for the CEO that actually does the deal. And the number one rule when you're an employee is not to get fired. You know, that's what everybody's thinking about. They don't want to get fired. And so the people that report to that CEO, they're, they're probably going to try to find every reason they can not to do the deal because it's all risk for them. There's really no upside. So there's a lot of building trust and telling people the good, the bad, the ugly. And that's a habit I've made in every business I build is I'll tell people the good, the bad, and the ugly up front. Um, and, and I found that I've been able to build a lot of trust that way. And ultimately I've built relationships that have lasted a very long time. I, I like to bring people into my businesses as investors and partners and carry them from business to business to business. And, uh, and that served me really well, but ultimately fast forward, uh, we ended up getting a deal done. Um, and it was, it was really a great deal for both sides. And the, the CEO of, of the company, uh, Steve street, uh, became a great friend of mine was on my board at shipped and is a great friend, uh, today. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And, um, I'd love to delve a little deeper be, into your other businesses because you have a track record of hyper growth, hyper scale, um, and a proven track record of starting and scaling businesses and selling them. What do you think the, your your formula is? Could you talk to us about that? I wish there was a mat, you know there. I wish there was a one two three checklist. But here's how I approach things. So um, I went through this process recently after I sold shipped. I was thinking about what I wanted to build next. And uh, I keep a list of ideas of, of just business ideas that I think are interesting. You know, ideas hit me pretty regularly. Uh, and what I like to do, if, if I don't write it down somewhere, I will obsess over it and end up spending all this time thinking about whatever the idea is. And so I have to get that out of my head so I can focus on what I have in front of me. So I take the idea and I literally have a, I have a document on my phone and I just put every single thought I have about that idea down and I move on. And at the time I had 33 ideas before I started landing uh, and they were all over the board, but they were all consumer businesses. And what, what I like to do when I'm ideating is um, just really think about what the problem is that needs to be solved. Uh, you know, at Insight, the problem was that people uh, couldn't get bank accounts. You know, it shipped. The problem was nobody wants to go to the grocery store. And at, at Landing, the problem is people don't want to deal with the headaches of having to lease an apartment and load a moving truck. And so I start with the problem and then I figure out, you know, what are the potential solutions to this? Sometimes they're very simple. I mean, ships was okay. Figure out how to let people buy groceries online and get them delivered. And I think about the idea at a transaction level. So I think, what are the 10 steps that have to happen for this product to be delivered? You know, step one, customer signs up. You know, step two, what happens? Three, four, five, six, seven. And then I sketch out the unit economics of the business. What am I going to make off of each transaction? And what are my costs to deliver each transaction? And I start at the, just the most simple level and figure out if there's something there that can work. Uh, and then I go into, okay, what all do I have to build as far as who I have to hire and how much capital does it require? Uh, and my goal is once I decide on something, 
I want to build the first version of it as fast as I possibly can so that I can prove whether or not there is, if there's any there, there is a lot of times, you know, I've had many ideas that there is nothing there and I want to get to that point as quick as possible. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, so when you talk about measuring out the unit economics, how do you know what they are like for each idea? Do you, do you go out and like, yeah, how, how do you work that out? Have you ever heard of a swag? No. Uh, before it's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a wild guess. Um, you know, I, I, I thought about it uh, in ship's example. I can remember going through this exercise. I remember this Excel spreadsheet and I thought that people um, would buy about $75 worth of groceries every time they ordered. And I figured out we would have to pay probably um $12 to get that order delivered by a shopper. And we'd have, you know, $2 in credit card processing and we'd make money on membership. And I kind of just broke it down. And then I looked at what if they only spend 35 or what if they spend $150 and how the unit economics change. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of that was informed by data I found about the grocery industry. So I found that in a grocery store, the average transaction at the time was, I think, $45 or $50. And I, I based my estimates on that information, but you really don't know till you start. And that's why I encourage entrepreneurs that are thinking about starting businesses, just get out there and go because business plans, you know, you can spend all the time writing up these business plans, but it's all garbage uh, until you actually get out there and figure out what people want. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder. Hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn, these are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Talk to us about the shipped journey. Um, so you started that, you sold the green dot. How, how long did it take before you started your next business, which was shipped? How, how long? Uh, did you take a break? Did you go travel around uh, Southeast Asia, take a nice holiday to Bali? Like, talk us like through what was that time period? So one thing I, um, I have not done well is take time off between companies. Um, I have really never taken a break between a business. I go immediately, uh, you know, when I sold Green Dot, uh, I think within a couple months, I was thinking about what was next. And um, from the time I sold Green Dot to the time I formed the LLC for Shipped, it was probably six months. I originally started Shipped with a different idea. I didn't think about grocery delivery at first. I saw the opportunity with shipped uh, was just same day delivery. You know, at, at, this was in 2014. So same day delivery was not a reality yet. You know, it's, it's pretty common now, but at the time it just 
it wasn't available. And I hated going to retail stores. Um, and my original vision was I wanted to get Target to allow ships to offer same day delivery for orders placed on their website. And I thought that shipped would be an option at the checkout. That was my vision. And I wanted to do the same thing for Best Buy, CVS, Walgreens, uh, all these retailers. That was my vision. So I built an early version of the platform and I started calling these retailers and introducing myself and saying, this is what I want to build. And you can imagine they were thinking, who are you? You know, you're just a guy from Birmingham, Alabama. What are you talking? You know, you're not going to be able to do this. So I figured out really fast I was toast because I couldn't get any of these companies to partner with me. So I had to go to the consumer first and create a groundswell of demand to get those people to pay attention. So I hacked together this um, idea where you could go to these retailers' websites and place an order for curbside pickup. So you, as a consumer, would go and order it yourself and say, I'm coming to pick it up. And then you would go to Shipped and tell Shipped, hey, go pick up my order from Target. And it was really clunky. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, a, not an integrated experience. And it, it didn't take off. You know, I, I put it up online. We may have done five or 10 of these, uh, but it just didn't work. And so I thought I was going to have to shut the company down. I had about 10, 10 people I'd hired. And uh, in December, I thought, I'm going to have to close this down. It's not working. Uh, meanwhile, my wife and I had our second child a few weeks later. And uh, we went to the grocery store on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, and we, had, we, we were in there with a one-year-old and a newborn. And the kids were crying. And it was a huge headache. And so in the parking lot of the public store, I decided, I, I looked at my wife and I said, I'm going to try to figure out how to deliver groceries. I think this could be the thing that ship needs. And so I go to work Monday morning and I get my little team together in a conference room. And I said, look, this, this idea is not working. I think grocery delivery could work. I'm not sure. Uh, but if you're in it with me, let's go and do it. And if you're not, feel free to leave, but we're going to go try to do this. And everybody stayed on board. So my idea this time was I wanted to prove demand. I think as an entrepreneur, when you, when you share an idea with friends and family, everybody who tells you your idea is awesome. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, and that's what everybody says. It's really hard to get people to tell you your idea sucks. Most people won't tell you the truth, even though that's what they're thinking. Most of the time, people think it's not going to work. And, and that's because most people really lack vision. Um, so the way I test, I want to prove demand is I want to get somebody to pay me for it. Because if, if people will get their credit card out and give you money, then that's, a, that's real proof that there's demand. So we built a mock-up of the Shipped app. Uh, we shot a... Uh, we spent a thousand dollars to shoot this really low quality video of what it could look like. We showed someone ordering groceries in the app, and then we showed somebody in the store picking all the items out and delivering them to somebody's home. We put it up on um, on basically like a crowdfunding site and said, "Look, we want to launch this in Birmingham. It's going to be ninety nine dollars a year, but if you sign up early, 
you'll get it for half off for $49 and it'll be available three months from now. So we put that together. We got a little bit of press in Birmingham about it and we signed up a thousand people in three weeks that paid for that. So I, that's when I knew we were onto something. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. And what happened next? We started to write the code. We built the software, uh, built the apps, uh, put it all together in three months. And, and that was credit to my awesome team. Uh, you know, on this original team, we had, uh, I think we had four, maybe three engineers, um, awesome people, um, uh, uh, Harris Reynolds and Patrick Sullivan and, uh, and a couple of other people that have all gone on, you know, now and, uh, started their own companies doing other things. We, we built it, we hired the first shoppers and we launched in Birmingham and it just exploded overnight. I mean, we had more orders than we could deliver. Um, I can remember I was working seven days a week. I was in the office. Uh, we would, you know, we think we were going to be off on Sunday or something and we'd all have to come in and answer the phone and take customer service calls, things like that. And then I said, okay, we've got to scale this. There's no way that I can just build this in one city. I need to take this across the country to be able to get big enough to cover all the people and overhead this is going to take. Um, and keep in mind, we did all this without any partnerships with any retailers. So we were offering delivery from a couple of grocery stores and they didn't have any relationship with us. So we had to just build our own product catalog and make all this happen just like anybody else would of shopping in the store. So we started launching new cities. We launched Nashville and Dallas and Tampa and Miami uh, very quickly and took the same model. We, we put a site up and we said, we're, we're going to launch in your city. And we would not launch unless we got a thousand people to sign up in that city and pay for membership. You know, if we, if we, we had a few cities we put on the site and, we only got 50 memberships, so we would just refund everybody's money until we're not launching and we focus on places that had momentum. Um, and I'm a big believer in focusing where the momentum is. You know, a lot of people try to make something work that's not working. You end up wasting all this energy. So I focus on where there's momentum, where it is working. That's where I want to invest. But we started launching cities and we started getting attention from retailers and from other from investors. So we went out to try to raise some money. Um, I needed to raise money. Uh, we raised initially some money from friends and family. Uh, and then those people made a lot of money. Uh, those, uh, those early investors, they made some huge money. Uh, I'm talking people that made tens of millions, 20, $30 million. Uh, but I needed VC money. And so uh, I started uh, flying out to San Francisco, meeting with VCs, pitching landing, pitching shipped, and um, uh, it was tough, actually. It was really a tough time to raise money. It was in early 2016. The stock market was down. I think some SaaS companies had been beat up. Um, and I, was a, I didn't live in the Bay Area. I was from Birmingham. I, I didn't go to college. I didn't, have the, you know, I didn't have that background. And there was another company that had raised $200 million already uh, in the same space. And uh, I, I think people really thought we weren't going to make it. I mean, people, you know, nobody was going to take a bet. And uh, ultimately had a couple of firms offer term sheets. We decided to go forward with our Series A. We raised $20 million. 
and really started scaling the business and it blew up. I mean, we, we were doing a hundred million in revenue in no time. Uh, and, and then we kept growing it from there. Yeah. And then you eventually sold that company to target for over half a billion, right? We did. Yeah. You know, the, the way that deal came together, um, we raised, we raised another round of capital. So we ended up raising 45 million. Uh, and in, I think June of 2017, maybe, um, Whole Foods, uh, Amazon bought Whole Foods. And I can remember I was on vacation. Um, I was in, I was in Turks and Caicos and I was on vacation. Um, and I remember this news coming out and, you know, we didn't know what to think. We didn't know if this was the end of the world or a great opportunity, but I think people's initial reaction was, oh my gosh, right? Anytime Amazon gets into a business, people tend to wig out, you know, and they've gotten into a lot of businesses and done great and they've gotten other businesses and then they've decided to close it down. But there was definitely a lot of uncertainty. Well, what happened within the next two weeks, we got calls from multiple huge grocery retailers wanting to talk about partnering, investing, or acquiring shipped. Uh, and one of those calls was Target. And we had, we had developed a bit of a relationship. We kept in touch because I called them in the early days. And Target was always my dream. I always wanted Target to work with us uh, from day one. So we built a relationship um, and it started out with, hey, let's partner. And then they looked at investing and ultimately they offered to acquire the company. And uh, we decided to, to lock arms with Target and, and go forward with them because we felt they were most aligned with our values. And uh, it's just an incredible brand that people love and know. And so uh, we were really thrilled to, to do a deal and, and to sell the company to Target. And, and they were committed, most importantly, to ship living on as an independent uh, subsidiary. And so today, um, Shipped is an independent subsidiary of Target. They have over a thousand employees. Um, they're still based in Birmingham, where uh, you know, the city I, I'm from and love and care so much about. They've kept the jobs here. They have they actually shipped is the uh, anchors, the tallest building in Birmingham. And they make a huge difference here and around the country. And, and uh, it's been a really cool story to see play out. They've been a great steward and they've really grown the company at a just a, an incredible rate since they acquired it. I'm curious when it comes to kind of letting that business go, what, what made you decide to sell it? It like a, like you're a serial founder. There's no doubt about it. You start companies and your thrill is, is building, right? And starting something else. But like, how did you let that go? Because it sounds like it was an absolute rocket ship. It was. It was a rocket ship. It, it was really tough. Um, you know, there, were, there was actually one of my board members, a couple that said, you shouldn't sell this company. Uh, you should take this public. And uh, I, I remember having calls on the weekend with investment bankers about how we could take the company public and what all that would look like. And then I had other, other board members that said, you know, look, um, this is life-changing money. It's generational. Um, and so, you know, I, I have been able to have success in the past, selling a business, finding a new idea, creating one from scratch again. 
And I ultimately decided the best thing for my family and my investors was to take that exit because uh, it, it, it had a generational impact on my family. Um, and I was more importantly selling it to a company that was going to take shipped to a level that, you know, would, would be really hard for me to take it to on my own because Target is a massive company to have, you know, unlimited resources. And I ultimately thought that that company would need to be vertically integrated. You know, the grocery industry, there's not that much profit in the business. And uh, somebody has to pay for delivery. Either the customer has to pay for it or the retailer has to pay for it. And the customer doesn't want to pay for it. And I ultimately thought it'd be hard for the retailer to pay for it. So it needs to be vertically integrated, I think, to, to really work well. So I made the decision to sell it and I had confidence that I would find something else. And, uh, and I've been able to do that with landing. Uh, and this time I kind of have a different way I think about building companies. Uh, so I, I've kind of have a different perspective now than I did then. And what is that perspective? So, you know, selling shipped allowed me to have a really long-term perspective, uh, particularly just because I had sold a business, I had uh, gotten some liquidity and that's the hard thing, right? As a, as a founder, when you're, when you first start a company, you don't have any money, you know, you, you have money on paper uh, and paper value, but you don't have any cash. Uh, and every ca bit of cash I had, I was putting in my companies. And, uh, and so everything feels like a crazy risk because you're all in on this one business. And if something happens, you're bankrupt, you know, that's really the way it is for a founder. Uh, and so now what my goal is, is I want to build a massive, independent, enduring company, something that I can be excited about working on for the next few decades and just continue to grow for a long period of time. Um, and I think about compounding a lot, you know, compounding um, is, is really interesting, right? If I get 1% better at something every single day, uh, it gets really hard for someone else to start and catch up because of the, the effects of compounding. And that works, of course, in and with money as well. Uh, but I think the concept of building, selling, and starting over, what, what happens is you stop the compounding. You stop the, the, the compounding of value, but you also stop the compounding of talent of everything, right? Every time I sell a company, I have to leave all my talent behind, uh, all of the, everything I've built. And it's literally you know, me with a laptop and a cell phone trying to hire the first few people and start all over again. And that, you know, that's a lot of friction. And so I think now with landing, it's about building a platform and building a business that I can keep growing for a very long period of time. And that's, uh, that's what I'm excited about these days. Are you going to capitalize this business with outside investors or you're going to stay self-funded or what's the plan there? So I've raised outside capital for this business. Um, I put uh, quite a bit of capital in personally, but I've raised outside capital. And I actually think, uh, you know, there's certain businesses where if you can bootstrap it and own it hundred percent, that's great. Um, the businesses I build, particularly consumer businesses, they just require more capital in the early days. Uh, but ultimately they should be really large companies that are really valuable. And so I've learned that I'm okay having a smaller piece of a massive pie 
than having the whole pie. You know, when I started my first business, I didn't think that way. I thought I needed to own 100% of it. And I didn't want to have anybody else have a piece. But I've learned that there's benefit in having capital, but more importantly, people around the table that have invested their money that are invested in your success. Because I've learned so much from my investors, my board members, people that have my back. It's so nice to have cheerleaders and supporters that are really in and invested in the success of the company. I found that to be hugely helpful and uh, exponentially increased the success that I've been able to attain. And I'm curious, you talked about building a company that you can build compound over decades. If you bring in outside investors, there is the expectation of a return. So does that mean effectively you will look to IPO in the future? That That is the best alternative for you with landing or? Well, the first thing I try to do is I want to align myself with investors that have a long-term mindset. Um, so, you know, when I'm talking to investors, I'm not telling, I don't want somebody that just wants to put money in and get their money back in a year. Um, you know, and, and there are a lot of people that think very short-term and I'm looking for people that think long-term. We have um, a set of leadership principles at Landing that we use to guide all of our decision-makings and our, our decision-making and hiring processes. Uh, and one of those is radically long-term thinking. We want people that think radically long-term. I think radically long-term. I'm looking for investors that think the same. And so we've tried to align ourselves with people like that. Um, ultimately, for people to get liquidity, there's a few paths. I mean, you could do a private equity deal uh, where certain investors could choose to sell and I could choose to stay and continue to own and, and operate the company. Uh, you could ultimately take the company public. Uh, I think going public is probably the best option uh, because it gives people the flexibility to stay on and hold the shares for a long time or sell if they want to or sell a piece. And it's great for employees because they get access to liquidity. Uh, so, you know, it's early days for us. We'll see what the right path is. What's your take on, I guess, landing and how you're going to rapidly grow this company? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? And uh, yeah, what, what the plan is? Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about what landing does. Uh, so landing is building the first membership for flexible apartment living. And so a consumer can join landing, it's $199 a year. And we have apartments in 81 cities across the US where you can just show up and live. Everything's included, all the furnishings, all the housewares, everything you need. And so you can just open our app, you can pick an apartment, you can reserve it in a minute, you show up and live and you can stay there as little or as long as you want. You know, Most of our members are staying there for months at a time. And when you're ready to move to the next apartment, let's say you want to try a new neighborhood, or let's say you uh, decide you want to take a roommate on and you want to move to a bigger apartment, or you move to a new city for a new job, you just open the app, you pick your next apartment, and you show up and live. You never have to load a moving truck. You never have to sign a long-term lease for a single location. You don't have to pay fees for utilities. You don't have to call a bunch of leasing agents. All that's eliminated with landing. So. We view this as the future of apartment living, particularly for people that are in their 20s, 30s, and, and, and 40s. And the way we're scaling the business is, uh, is really around covering as many cities as we can and having as many listings as we can for people. And then we wanna deliver a great experience. Uh, and this is a product that's really complex. There's a lot of operational complexity in the business. 
Um, and we view that as we're building a, a, a huge moat because we're solving really complicated problems and, uh, and creating these experiences for our members. And you have 35,000 units in 200 cities right now. That's right. It's, uh, it's probably more. We're in 81 metro areas. It's probably, uh, probably even more than 200 cities, uh, but it's, it's a lot of places. Yeah. And what does the next 10 years look like for landing? So, uh, you know, look, I think over the next decade, this way of living is going to become mainstream. You know, right now it's early days and uh, a lot of people don't even know that they can live like this. They think that the only option is to sign a 12 month lease and own a bunch of furniture. You have to move around and deal with all the headaches. And so people are going to discover this the same way that they discovered that they can get groceries delivered with shipped. And I would say even before, before the, uh, before COVID, there were still millions and tens of millions of people that didn't know that option existed. I think people know now, but it takes years for people to learn and really become penetrated. So I think this will become a mainstream product and this will be considered by a lot of people when they think about how they're going to live. And, uh, and ultimately I want to figure out how to serve someone from the time they graduate college to the time that they retire. And I want to help them on that entire journey of living, whether it be buying their first home or, all those components, because it's a really, it's where we spend most of our money. Most of our money goes to housing. It's the number one line item in our budget. It's the biggest headache. It's the most important part of life. And I want to be the company that, that people uh, turn to for all those phases. Those 35,000 units, you guys own outright. No, we don't. Uh, that's, uh, that's one of the things about our model is we've, we built a marketplace where we partner with owners and managers of these apartment buildings all over the country so we can have a huge base uh, of supply. You know, if we owned the apartments, it would literally take a decade plus to get to that size. It takes a very long time to build a big business in real estate because of the capital intensive nature of it. So we, we focus on partnering. Got you. So you guys are effectively a two-sided marketplace. That's right. And what's the biggest challenge right now, supply or demand? Supply. So the apartment space uh, is growing. Uh, the, the occupancy rates are almost, I think, at record levels right now. And demand is off the charts, especially in the cities where we're seeing a lot of growth. Places uh, you know, like Austin and Miami and all the places you're hearing about, demand is off the charts. So, uh, But we, we've built some great relationships, and so we're able to have a lot of supply on our, on our marketplace. Yeah, what a great product. Um, well, look, uh, this was awesome, Bill. Really, really fascinating. I, I can see a, I think everyone listening, watching, learning from you can see a clear, consistent theme, the way you think about things. We're going to move to the hot seat round where I'm going to ask you a few questions, kind of rapid fire. Um, if you could go back to the first day that you started your first business uh, and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? I think the the... the the advice would be um, be aggressive and be confident. Uh, that, that'd be my advice. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I'd have to say Elon Musk. Uh, I'd love to have dinner with him. I think he has created world-changing companies and uh, it'd be awesome to hang out with him. What's something you've learned today? Uh, today, literally today? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Oh, let's see. I'm looking at my list of calls I've had today. 
you know, I've learned that a lot of people have different motivations and it is sometimes you assume that somebody's looking for one thing and they're actually looking for another. And, uh, and so I'm, I've learned to really just not make any assumptions about what someone's desire is and just ask them straight up. What are they, what are they looking for? Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Bill. We will wrap there. This was an awesome interview and congratulations on all your success thus far. And, uh, yeah, really looking forward to watching the landing journey and see how far you can take it. Well, thank you so much. It was awesome to be with you and I really enjoyed it. I'll see you soon. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.